Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? This is Kong Sun with Believe in SCSU Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network, place with a show for every team in San Diego and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? In this episode, we're going to take a look back and just shout out the, to the seniors or shout out the seniors on both the men's and women's team um, with the season ending the way it did. I felt like it's appropriate to kind of start with the seniors and work our way into the incoming class, um, transitioning into what to expect for next year. So without further ado, here we go. So let's start off with the men's team. There are three seniors uh, on the team. We're going to start with, uh, in numerical order, Yanni Wetzel. He wore number five for the Aztecs this season. Um, originally from New, in- New Zealand. I almost said New England. Uh, New Zealand. And he actually didn't play basketball until he was 17. I uh, was playing a lot of tennis beforehand. So if you factor, factor that in, it's incredible what he's been able to do. Uh, on the court this year and his the de- dexterity required to play tennis at a very high level sort of translates onto um, the court which again if anybody hears this that's a parent do not specialize uh, your kids into a particular sport let them play everything let kids be kids because you just never know how all these things can come together um, but he wasn't an Aztec from the beginning, he played his first two years of collegiate basketball at a college called St. Mary's. And it's not the St. Mary's that Aztec fans uh, may come to be familiar with, not the St. Mary's team that I remember booing. Um, Patty Mills and those guys, as they fought the Aztecs uh, at least a couple times a year, this is a Division II school in San Antonio called St. Mary's. And from there, he was able to transfer to one year at Vanderbilt. He was uh, actually a teammate of current Cavalier Darius Garland. Uh, but unfortunately, that season was a bit tough. I think that team only won nine games that season. And it got to a point where he felt that he was just going to focus on tennis after that year. And... I believe there was a coaching change that also happened and that can cause a lot of stress for the player because typically when you're transferring from one school to another, a lot of it has to do with the program and what the playing style is and what that could bring to your career. And so you imagine if you, you know, decide to take this step you know, this is another topic for another day, and I don't agree with it. But as a player who transfers, you take a year out due to the transfer rules. You have to sit a year out. So you're effectively waiting two years to play for this system. Doesn't work out. Coach gets fired. Then I can only imagine at that point you're sitting and thinking to yourself, well, shit. I mean, I, I devoted the last two years to come here to play into this system, and now it's just gone. There's a lot of uncertainties. And with collegiate basketball, there's not a lot of room to really see, engage your chance to play professionally, whether it's in the NBA or overseas. So all a lot, 
lot, all that being said, when it all came to what it came to at Vanderbilt, you know, uh, Yanni felt it was best to transfer out of there. And that's when San Diego State was able to um, convince him to choose the Aztecs over Texas Tech, which is a feat by itself because Texas Tech, you know, went to the national championship game. They were the runner-ups. It would have been easy to um, for Yanni to just go there and say, oh, we're just going to get reloaded and let's keep playing. But he originally started the season as the starting four-man but there were a lot of injuries to our starting centers, Nathan Mensa and Arope, and he effectively effectively became a stretch five, and that really changed the dynamic of the Aztecs and helped spread the floor out a lot more with him playing the five and Matt Mitchell playing the four. And he was involved with the main action of either the pick and roll, which primarily kicked off our offense, or the dribble handoff. And from there, he was able to make the decision. Should he, you know, hand the ball off and set the screen and then roll to the rim? Or if he would, sometimes he would fake it if he felt that his man was sort of cheating up and it would allow him to turn a quick corner and, and try to get to the basket. He is incredibly agile for somebody his size. He can take it from one side and, and go in up and under to finish as a reverse on the other side of the rim. He can score in the post over both shoulders. He has range out to the three-point line. His versatility was a big um, cog in the success for the Aztecs this year. And I was trying to come up with some fun facts, some interesting tidbits, but he doesn't have much of a social media presence, so I really can't tell you what he's like from, I guess, an online profile standpoint. But we'll move on to number 10, KJ Fagan. Originally from Carson, California, which I know very well. Um, he spent his first three years over at Santa Clara, the same school that Steve Nash went to, where he came in as a winner, just a straight-up winner. He won 60 straight league games in high school. And yes, you heard that right, 60 as in 6-0. Um, just in full context, I believe in... Uh, my high school basketball career, I must have played 60 games. And I think won like 10 of them. I don't know. I mean, to, to win 60 straight league games is pretty impressive no matter the level that you're at. Um, quite contrary to Yanni, he's actually very active on social media. So I found that he's just a genuine fan of basketball, genuine fan of Kobe. And looking ahead at his highlights, whether he was in high school at Long Beach Poly, whether he was in St. Mary's or at San Diego State, or playing ball in the summer, just pick up. Name of the game with him is just speed. He's just fast. And he might not necessarily be the best defender, but he certainly plays a lot bigger than what his listed size is at 6'1". And he had a calming influence on the team. And what I mean by that is whenever he was on the court, you just kind of felt the team not make as many mistakes than when he was off the court. And I don't really necessarily have the numbers to back it up, but just from an eye test perspective, an emotional fan viewing perspective, I, when KJ was on the court, I knew that things were going to happen. You, The ball was going to get moved around. 
things weren't going to get stagnant. We weren't going to repeat the same mistakes over and over. And that was a big part of Aztec success because when we're down 16 in the first half, when we're down 10 to Iowa on a neutral court with five minutes to play, there's a lot of these key moments where we really have to stay calm and not panic under pressure and just keep going. And KJ was a big part of that for sure. And he really developed a really good chemistry with Malachi and understanding where Malachi would like the ball to kind of go to his go-to moves the best. And he really did a good job of that. When he had those games where he would start out hot from three, it elevated the team to a whole new level. Because one, you already have to worry about his speed. So the dribble drives to the basket. But now you have to worry about the three, which incorporates the help guys, um, the help defenders closest to him. And from there, it, it just kind of spread. Okay, guys, if you're imagining KJ driving to the rim, the help guy comes. person that has to leave is typically going to be Malachi, Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, these guys that can shoot the ball from deep, and that just opens that up, you know, and, and they can create little wrinkles in the play where they use that to their advantage. So there were definitely a few games where he would start five for seven, three for five from three, and that just that was a good sign that the Aztecs were going to win. Um, and finally, for the third senior, Nolan Norain, he started out, I think, wearing number 24, which he changed to number 12. And this guy is the epitome of a hard worker, the epitome of, uh, you hear a lot of times, a consummate teammate. So he's originally from Canada. He went to San Diego State. He's been there for the entire career or entire college career he was rated a four-star recruit out of high school per espn he was rated the third player third best player in canada he actually chose san diego state over gonzaga which we all know gonzaga's reputation not only to produce quality basketball teams but also nba talent and his hurdles were just health related he was never able to get consistently healthy and it was highlighted in a couple pieces with, I believe, the San Diego Union Tribune, where if you can imagine in the summer, player A is fully healthy. They're working on skill development and conditioning the entire summer where player B, like Nolan, would work on skill development, but then has to devote time to recover from injury and then sort of build those skills back up again and then recover from injury. And it's a rinse, wash, repeat cycle from there. And what happens is throughout time, over multiple summers, the gap begins to widen more and more and more. And the thing I did like about Nolan's approach is that he was understanding of sort of what that meant and what that was going to be for from a basketball standpoint. And so he utilized his status as a college basketball player, as somebody who is known within the city of San Diego and was able to work hard and get a paid internship with a real estate investment firm this past summer and sort of set things up post basketball. And he was even willing to miss workouts and potential um, playing time towards, or he missed those things in favor of going to this internship. So if you imagine for someone like him, where Yanni had, 
just sort of looks back and says that I spent these two years at Vanderbilt and look what happened for Nolan to, he could have easily just played the what if game. What if I went to Gonzaga instead, utilizing that third uh, best player in Canada, playing in Mark Few system, the notoriety that it brings, the, the big name that Gonzaga is in the college basketball world. Who knows what would have happened? Would I have been as injured? Would I have been getting the same injuries? Would it have taken as long to recover, et cetera, et cetera? Then you can envision a totally different life for yourself if you're playing that game. But for him to just take all that out of the equation and for him to really just say, okay, I mean, it, this is the cards that I was dealt. So this is what I'm going to do. It's really commendable, and especially for somebody his age, really mature for him to really accept that and kind of set something up that's uh, potentially going to be just as bright for him in the future. So best of luck to him. And moving on to the women's side, you're going to hear a consistent theme uh, similar to the men's side. Um, there's four seniors. We're going to start with numerically again. Number four for the women's team is Monique Terry, originally from San Diego or San Antonio. And she was with SDSU her entire collegiate career. And same thing, you know, she only got a starting role after Mallory Adams got hurt, but was able to keep the starting role and kind of worked hard to get to that point. So if you can imagine being a bench player, you know, it's really easy to either accept your role and just say, this is who I am. So I'm going to just work to be a bench player or, um, you know, just sort of thinking like, oh, well, I should do this or I should do that instead and not necessarily having the work ethic to match those ideas. She just kept grinding and you, all you hear from the coaches is just talking about how hard she worked to get to the point and then sustain that point. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that she's most notable for or, or that you see a lot online is the unfortunate um, tragic passing of her cousin and her cousin's husband in an El Paso shooting last year and she was on the news sort of talking about um, her cousin and that side of the family but that shouldn't necessarily overshadow obviously it was a very um, heartbreaking story and you definitely don't want to wish that on anybody and you definitely don't want that to be the thing that people are knowing you for. Um, she's just a tenacious, hard-nosed player. You see a lot of highlights of crashing offensive rebounds, getting the timely three, getting the jumpers, setting people up, you know, going, setting tough screens and just a consummate pro and, um, doing some digging and trying to figure out some fun tidbits. Uh, all I can tell you is definitely a big fan of the weekend. And I think I might be understating it. Um, just, just see, I just see a lot of weekend content on our social feeds. Um, next is Zane Dornstadter, number 22 from Canada played one year at university of San Francisco before transferring to San Diego state. She has a sister who plays professionally in Spain and she was the Aztecs post presence. I think she only shot like five threes this season. And just as much as it is when you see somebody shoot hundreds of threes in a, in a season, I think it's just as impressive if you only shoot five. I'm sure there's definitely a lot of times where 
she catches the ball and, and supposed to do the dribble handoff action or just swing the ball and you know the opponent's giving you all that space and you just stare at the basket and you're like dude all i have to do is just fucking shoot her from here but again another person who's a great fit with the aztecs culture great team player and just sort of stuck to and doubled down on what she's good at so um, i think when i was digging around she's definitely the creative type loves art and photography and we'll see what she can create what kind of art she can create you know post basketball um next is somebody that i've talked about a lot in past episodes taylor calmer um she wore number 25 she was i think number one in minutes played in the entire mountain west conference this year by far i mean second was sofia ramos and those two were kind of close but third place was like a hundred minute difference which is ridiculous that's just the sign of possibly the most well-conditioned athlete in the conference this year in the past couple of years potentially as well but she originally played her first three years at oregon state so getting that pac-12 experience getting to play in in sort of the conference that's mo- more well known around the world more eyes are on those teams i think that really translated in her um, calming influence this this season where it just didn't feel like any moment was too big for her. Everything was under control. She was a, she knew exactly what to do at the right time. You know, that's not to say that shots didn't, or it's, that's not saying that all the shots fell for her, but I never felt worried or concerned about what she was going to do with the basketball. I just knew that it was going to be the right play. And, she just sort of did it all. I mean, she had Final Four experience back in 2016. So I think that definitely played a lot into sort of her playing demeanor this season. Um, she's, I don't know where she goes from here in terms of a college or from in terms of a ba- basketball standpoint. She definitely has the talents. I don't know if she's going to choose to play overseas or in any leagues um, here just because the reason she transferred to San Diego was to be closer to family. She has a brother who plays baseball at Arizona State. Um, She's originally from Arizona. So who knows? But I do know that if she still decides to continue to to lace them up, she's going to give the opponents some trouble um, for many, many years to come. And finally, um, Last but not least, number 34, Bailey Vanderdoes from Auburn, California, which I believe is uh, Northern California, if I'm not mistaken. She also is a Aztec lifer. Um, fun fact, her brother, Eddie Vanderdoes, is a nose tackle in the NFL, most recently, I believe, on the Raiders of now Las Vegas, but formerly Oakland, and that's a, a different topic, but... She's also just one of these players who understood what she brought to the table and understood that her skill set was unique and that she needed to execute her part of the game plan for the team to have the greatest chance of success. And the one thing that's very optimistic and hopeful for these seniors is 
every single one of them were very supportive of each other on their social media. And that's something these days that mean a lot to a lot of people where it can easily just be all about you. It can easily just be about somebody, but, you know, kind of like backhanded, it's really about me kind of thing. All seven of these seniors were just fully embracing every single little accomplishment by anybody in the Aztec family. It could be a teammate. It could be a friend. It could be a coach. It could be even the writers and the media staff, the media members that helped cover the teams. It was really cool to sort of see that it felt like a family and it, it felt good in the sense that that's the same kind of feelings that I had when I was there. I mean, I was just a practice player, but the women's team, the staff, everybody made me feel right at home, made me feel like I was part of the team, went through the same uh, ups and downs as a college athlete. And it really opened my eyes to the amount of work and just practice and hours and hours of sacrifice that it takes to be successful in college sports. Um, the biggest, also one of the biggest supportive things that they can do is to the fans and every piece of content that was sort of a thank you to the fans whom we notably call the show. All the players were all in. I mean, I mean, those guys on, on the end of the court doing the show with those giant signs and crazy mascot costumes and outfits and funny things like that definitely gives you a big jolt of energy when you're there. You can feel the effects of what that does with a lively crowd and for everybody to acknowledge and recognize and especially compliment that side. It really just sort of brings everybody closer together. And hopefully this family environment uh, continues with the, uh, or with next year's team, whether it's sort of passing along the traditions to the you know, future seniors or the incoming, all the way down to the incoming freshmen. Um, it's going to be really exciting to see what next year has to offer. So, uh, that's pretty much it on the, on the seniors on the next episode. We'll get into, um, all the juniors and, and just try, sort of break it down by year. I think it's a good time to really recognize the players and not just for their basketball accomplishments, but really call them out one by one to really just let everybody know that it didn't matter what your role was. It didn't matter your stats. If you were on the team, you are a part of the success, all the ups and downs. You've contributed one way or another because there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that you just don't see. So to all the seniors, thank you. We will root for you guys forever. Once you're an Aztec, you're always an Aztec, and best of luck in the future. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're available wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, my name is Kongson, and I'm at N-A-S-G-N-A-K on Instagram, and you can reach us at Believe.com and at Believe 
podcasts. We have a new dedicated sports Instagram page at Believe Sports. So definitely give us a follow there as well. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. So until the next episode, thank you for listening and go Aztecs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.